Amen. Thank you. Let's start with everyone's favorite question. Okay. Why? It's a question we all really like to ask all about all sorts of things, right? We, uh, when we're real little, we love to ask why. Then we become teenagers, and we chafe at all those, those rules that everybody has, and we say, why? And then as adults, we navigate the challenges of life and living a life of faith, and we still ask, why? And in Christian life, there are several big whys. You, you know them. You've asked them at some point, I'm sure. But today, we're going to focus in on one why in particular. Why hasn't Jesus come back yet? And like many whys, this is a question that can ultimately lead us, if we, if we spend a lot of time with it, we can begin to doubt God's goodness or his wisdom or his promises at times. Suffering Christians cry out for Jesus to return quickly and drop the curtain on this, this world of darkness and, and pain and evil and suffering and death. And they're not wrong to ask and desire that. We wonder why God would permit the ugliness of this world to continue when there is such beauty lying ahead of us. And so in despair, we sometimes begin to wonder whether Jesus is really going to come back. And this, this is what Peter is addressing in today's passage. He gives us the answer whether we like it or not, and then he gives us some clear guidance about what to do while we wait. And our passage this morning is 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 13. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Amen to that. In our impatient, instant gratification culture, we need to hear what Peter is telling us. We need to hear it to better understand God's heart and his nature and his plan. See, God is extraordinarily patient. And unfortunately, that means we need to be as well. As we wait for Christ's glorious return, God has given us work to do. And I summarize it this way, wait for and hasten Christ's coming through holiness and mission. 
These things are obviously in a certain degree of tension. Wait for it, hasten, Christ coming through holiness and mission. Now, as Christians, you and I must wait patiently for Christ's return by living a life of holiness. Peter beautifully explains God's radically different perspective in verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. This one fact, if we can hold on to it, is key to resolving so many of our frustrations regarding God's timing. Simply put, he perceives time very differently from us. We are very much creatures in time, right? We live in the moment. Our life is linear, second after second, minute after minute. We can only contemplate the past, the present, and the very near future. God is different. Unlike us, he stands astride space and time. He sees all of time as easily as he sees all of space. This is a very difficult concept for us to grasp. He knows all things and he is everywhere, but he is also every when. And therefore, he always knows what and when is best. We always want now. God always waits for best. And this is why God isn't slow to act, even when we are pulling out our remaining hair in impatience. Because God is perfectly deliberate and he is purposeful at all times. As verse 9 begins, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Now, as I studied this passage, I was fascinated by who Peter says God is patient toward. It's us. It's Christians. Right? Peter's writing this letter to Christians, and he says that God is patient towards us. We are the ones who test God's patience. Now, in the broader context of this passage, in this chapter, talking about Christ's return, the thing we consider a delay, it would seem, is based on God's patience towards us, the church. As I thought about it more and more, I love that God is patient towards us, us because of his love for unbelievers. Because that's what verse 9 is telling us. God's love for unbelievers keeps him from dropping the curtain on this fallen world and sending Jesus back in power and glory. He wants everyone to come to repentance through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 9 concludes that God is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. We must understand that it is God's will and desire for people from every tribe, language, and nation to become part of his family through faith in Jesus Christ. More importantly, we need to know that this will happen as we see in Revelation 7-9, which describes, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples, 
and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Right? This is the future, that by the time Christ returns, heaven will have representatives from all of the world's ethne. Now, ethne is a Greek word that's being used here, and it describes ethnic people groups. Now, currently, many ethne are not represented in heaven because they have little or no way to learn about Jesus Christ. As the world stands today, according to the, to the Joshua Project, heaven should include 17,427 distinct people groups, distinct ethne. But of those, 7,414 haven't yet been reached with the gospel, so they are missing from that heavenly choir. God wants them there. And his will will be done. And reaching the ethne is the job of the church, as Jesus commissioned us to go, therefore, and make disciples of all ethne, all nations. And so I believe as I read this passage and reflect on it, those 7,414 unreached people groups are a major reason why God is patient with us, the church. Because of his love for all the, those who are unreached, God is patient towards Christians who have had the task of making disciples of all nations for almost 20 centuries. And honestly, to this guy's opinion, across 2,000 years, the church should have been able to do her job and make disciples of all the ethne, all the nations and tribes and peoples and tongues. But unfortunately, church history is uneven. There have been histories, times of great expansion and gospel advance and zeal for mission, and then these have been followed by long periods of, of sinful sluggishness and selfishness and, and defensiveness within Christendom and the church. But thankfully, the spread of the gospel and the reaching of the nations is once again accelerating as it has over the last 50 to 100 years, and, and God's kingdom here on earth is advancing and this is good because one day the end will come and what a spectacular end it's going to be. Verse 10 emphasizes, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, meaning it will be unexpected and without warning. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Verse 13 promises, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth, right? That we as Christians, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Fire and renewed creation are coming one day without advance notice on your Google calendar. <laughs> and it could be today or it could be thousands of years from now, but Peter promises that when it does, all our actions, good, bad, and indifferent, will be exposed to God's scrutiny and Christ's judgment. Now, in light of that reality, our comfort is that our final destination will be based entirely on our response to the good news of Jesus Christ. Because God clearly sees and knows all our sins, and we have all sinned and fallen short of God's standard and His expectation, that standard of perfection that is required to enjoy the presence of a perfectly holy God. 
And so if we want to dwell with righteousness, meaning with God himself, it won't be because of the good things we've done, because we simply can't ever do enough good things. Not to mention all those bad things we do. But because of God's love, he made a way for our sins to be washed away and our sinful works to be paid for, and he did this by sending his son Jesus into this world at the right time, right in his right and proper time. Centuries after, everyone else said, hey, it would be great if you'd send Messiah now. But God knew the right time. And he came to live a sinless life and to die on a cross as an innocent sacrifice to pay the penalty for our sins. Jesus suffered, he died, and he rose from the dead in triumph over sin and death. And all who trust in Jesus Christ, repenting of their sins and submitting to his lordship, will be saved from that fire of hell and welcomed instead into that new and perfect and glorious heaven and earth in which God himself dwells. For those who are in Christ, we are saved to dwell with righteousness in the flesh, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And in that place, there will be no more curse upon the earth, no more suffering, no more pain, and no more death. While God is patient with Christians for the sake of unbelievers, this day of fire, judgment, and delight is coming, and that needs to drive how we live every single day of our life. Verses 11 and 12 tell us how to do that, how to live in these the last days. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? So what should we do in light of God's patience and Christ's return? Wait and hasten his coming. How should we live while we wait and hasten? In holiness and godliness. We must live lives devoted to God, set apart for him, pleasing to him, and aligned to his will, his design, and his purpose. Though we are saved by God's grace through faith in Christ alone, and that is a wondrous gift, we must live lives that reflect Christ present and working in us once we are saved. As followers of Jesus, we must wait patiently by pursuing personal holiness, by growing our relationship with God, and by rejecting and crucifying the residual sin in our life, all of it. Though we aren't perfect, you and I must strive to be like our perfect Lord Jesus. But we must, and this is important, we must do more than simply clean up our spiritual act while we wait for Jesus to come back. It is inadequate for Christians to simply turn inward and focus on being ultra-spiritual. That is a temptation to which Christians have succumbed across the centuries. We must not. Because Peter commands us to hasten Christ's return by living life on mission. Verse 12 speaks of hastening Christ's return. Now you think about that, right? You... Hasten Christ's return. And you're like, how can I possibly do that? By living out the Great Commission. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It seems that Christ's return is tied to the spread of the gospel throughout the world. Matthew 24, 14, Jesus says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, once again, here's that word ethne, the word that's translated nations here. It is that Greek word talking about ethnic peoples. Jesus doesn't seem to be talking about the spread of the gospel, just touching on geographic capitals, but to the church accomplishing the Great Commission by taking the gospel to all of those ethnic people groups, over 17,000 of them. Now, this makes perfect sense, given God's desire for people of every tribe, tongue, and nation to come to repentance in Jesus Christ. He wants this, and it will happen. And so it follows that our obedience in disciple-making is how we personally hasten the return of Jesus. So that's kind of a heavy thing if you think about it, because it means that, friends, you and I, we have some work to do. We've got to hasten the return of Jesus. We must wait in holiness and hasten Christ's return. So we got some homework. We do this by sharing Christ with our neighbors and our acquaintances, especially now as the nations are moving here. There's something like 138 different languages spoken in Prince William County. 138. They're here. We must share our hope in this hurting world with them. We must share our hope in this hurting world with our one. Right? Do you have a specific person that you are routinely praying for to come to faith and that you have committed to share the gospel with? If you don't, right, if you don't know who's your one, commit to God. For one person, you're going to pray daily for them to come to know Jesus and that you're going to commit to share Christ with them before Christmas. Hastening Christ's return is one reason we're serious about planting a network of 80 non-traditional churches by the end of 2030. God's heart and desire is for those around us to come to repentance and we need to live in alignment with His heart and he is calling us to take church out where the non-Christians are. And this effort is nearing its first expression as we are praying for the establishment of the first Simply Church. And Simply Church is a, not just about a church, it's about a movement of multiplying non-traditional churches that go, go out to meet those who don't know God and are not very likely to come through our doors. And to gather them for community and worship and prayer and discipleship. Because God desires for over 300,000 of our neighbors in this county alone who don't know him to come to repentance and faith. You and I have the privilege of hastening the coming of Christ's return by praying for Simply Church and praying for a location to finalize and praying for the people who will be reached and praying for the leaders and the launch team. We have the privilege of hastening Christ's return by becoming the helping hands and feet that Joe and George and the team need to get the word out about Simply Church and to help that first church plant launch well and strengthen and encourage them when it's tough in the early days. But this is also why we go on mission trips far away. We've been to a lot of different places already this year and we're going to more. 
This is why we go on mission trips far away, even though there are so many lost people around us, right? I've had this conversation with many of you. Why do we go to Southeast Asia? There are enough lost people around us in Prince William County. And right, there are a lot of lost people in Prince William County, but God desires that all should reach repentance. Going is God's heart and Christ's command. And our little church that's turning 50 years young here at the corner of Clipper and Mariner partners in missions with many other churches in our local, state, and national associations. We do that through the cooperative program. We do that through our annual missions offerings, Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong. We also put a lot of our personal energy and resources towards reaching one particular unreached people group there in Southeast Asia. That's what we were talking about earlier. That's what we're going to talk about later. Because partnering to reach a specific people group across many years is the most effective strategy for our church. And I want you to know that through our partnership for nearly 20 years with IMB missionaries and regional indigenous planters and evangelists, we have collectively supported the discipleship of thousands of new believers and the equipping and training of over 600 church leaders to reach a people group with nearly 38 million members and fewer than 0.6%, 0.06% who are evangelical Christians. God's heart for the lost and the hastening of Christ's return is why we support the incredible work of other missionaries, including some who grew up in our own church. And we're just in a minute going to hear about some of that from Rebecca. But as I conclude this morning, I just want to, to ask you to hear again Peter's words. God is patient with Christians because of his love for non-Christians. He's commanded us to go and make disciples. And as we wait patiently for Christ's return and in God's perfect timing, as frustrating as that can be for us, we must live lives of both holiness and purpose. We must speed Christ's return by living a life on God's mission. So, so if you are not feeling like you are on mission for the Lord, I want to invite you to get on mission for the Lord. If you aren't actively involved with our evangelism, our church planting, or our missions work, whether by learning about these things, praying for them diligently, encouraging those who are involved, financially supporting those who are going out, or, or going out yourself, I urge you to get involved. You don't have to plant a church to support church planting. You don't have to fly to Asia to come alongside what God's already doing there. Well, we all need to be waiting patiently and working to hasten the day of Christ's return. So I want to pray for us, and then I'm going to invite Rebecca to come up and share some of the just the ways she's seen God at work. Lord God, we give thanks that you have given us this uh, privilege uh, of living a life of holiness and a life on mission for you. Lord God, you have been powerfully at work in this congregation for 50 years. You have been powerfully at work in the world and given us the privilege to come alongside that work, and what a joy that is. Lord God, I pray that you would just help us all to be people who devote our lives to holiness and the mission of hastening the return of our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.